Welcome to On Top of PR with Jason Mudd, presented by Review Maxer. Hello and welcome to On Top of PR. I'm your host, Jason Mudd, and it's my pleasure today to have uh, Allison join us. Allison's the Executive Director of Ethical Systems, a research collaboration based at NYU Stern School of Business. She's also a professor at Stern and is writing a book for Harvard Business Review Press on how companies can do the right thing in a turbulent world. Uh, Allison, thank you so much and welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, delightful to be here. It, it is a pleasure. So Allison Taylor, tell us quickly just a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about ethical systems, please. Sure. So I have worked on questions of the relationship between business and society for my whole career. Since the end of 2019, I've been at Stern School of Business. I teach undergrads and MBAs about professional responsibility and ethics and ESG. And then I run a research collaboration that works to help companies build more ethical and effective cultures. And as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, the landscape for reputational risk and the kind of pressures companies are under have evolved pretty dramatically in the last five years. And I think they're going to continue to evolve just as dramatically. So it's an interesting time to be doing this work. It absolutely is, Allison, and all the more reason why it's valuable to have you on our show today. So thank you for joining us. Uh, for our audience at home, we're recording this on December 16th of 2021, and you're probably listening to it at some point in 2022 or beyond. Uh, Allison, uh, just to make sure we're all on the same page, tell our audience what ESG stands for. It stands for Environment, Social, and Governance. Sometimes people characterize it as non-financial risk, uh, but it is, it is a framework developed really for investors to help them analyze the kind of environmental, social, and governance risks and opportunities that companies have. And it is held that that uh, aligns more closely uh, with uh, long-term value creation. So if you get these things right, it is a proxy for having a healthy culture and ought to, over the long-term, build more trust from your employees, customers, etc and ought to therefore mean that you have a more sustainable business over the long term. Sure. Let's say one of our audience members is listening to this episode. Maybe they're at a smaller organization or maybe they're at a more you know, larger established company and yet ESG is not something they're talking about. Where would be a good spot you would recommend that they get started uh, in their organization? I think the best place to get started is by looking at the opportunities that you have to be more environmentally and socially responsible. The thinking is not that you just do what you were doing all along and then maybe donate to some charity or invest in the local community or do something feel good that's unrelated to the business. The idea is that you look at what your business does, how your business makes money. You look at the opportunities to um, reduce your negative impacts on the environment, on the environment and society or uh, perhaps do something positive and then you look for the overlap between your business model and those opportunities and you focus as, as 
closely as possible um, on a few things. So I would certainly uh, advise companies not to try and boil the ocean, not to try and tick the box on 40 or 50 issues, not necessarily to listen to everybody that's yelling at you, but be really, really focused about how you can make money by providing more value to society or um, having a, a better environmental impact. Excellent. Is there a company that's too small to consider ESG? Um, I mean, I think you need to think about it because consumer tastes are changing. Employees uh, want to know that your company is doing more than just focusing on profit at all costs. So I wouldn't say that an organization is too small, but I certainly recognize the pressures um, that, that small companies feel under. They don't have these big infrastructures. They maybe don't have these big investor relationships. So I think the mistake is seeing this as, as something that doesn't, you know, you're just doing for the sake of it. If you can focus on uh, a few issues that are really, really relevant, then it shouldn't be too much of a burden. But yeah, there's a lot of noise and resistance, I think, from small companies who just feel that these issues don't apply to them. Mm -hmm. and, and a typical organization, who is the owner and respons responsible party for ESG within the enterprise? I think if you're a big organization at this point, you will likely have a head of sustainability in ESG. So over 90% of the S&P 500 now produce a sustainability report. So there's increasingly a, a tendency to have somebody, you know, specialist doing this work. Mm -hmm. If you are too small for that, it, it really, really depends um, on the industry where the lead will sit. Um, I've seen this being handled by lawyers. I've seen this being handled by the HR department, certainly marketing, certainly mm -hmm. risk and strategy, certainly the CEO's office, certainly investor relations. So we're at an early stage of development and, and there's a lot of inconsistency and a lot of different companies trying different things at the moment. Gotcha. Excellent. Thank you for addressing that. I know that I, uh, some of our audience has those questions and we appreciate you answering them. So uh, tell me a little bit more uh, about your book and, and, what would some, and when is it going to be available and what would someone learn from uh, reading it? Sure. So it won't be out until 2023. But what I'm really exploring is, you know, back in the 20th century, um, when we had the Milton Friedman idea that all a business needed to do was to create shareholder value, we had this idea that as long as a business doesn't do anything illegal, as long as you don't break the law, you meet your compliance and regulatory um, obligations, then anything else you do to maximize profit is, is ethically neutral and you can't criticize it. That is quite clearly no longer the case. If you open the news today, you will see companies under pressure on an enormous range of issues that aren't to do with legal risk. We can think about diversity and inclusion. We can think about, obviously, climate change, human rights, fighting inequality, uh, the social um, impact of technology. There's an almost endless list of issues. Companies are even being asked to help defend democracy at this point. So we're in a really, really new landscape, I think, for how companies need to manage their reputations. But I wouldn't even see this as about reputational risk. This is about your relationship with society um, and how you manage those interactions and what you really do to build and sustain trust 
particularly with your customers and your employees. Do you sense that uh, corporate communications, public relations departments are a good place to have some ownership of this? Or are you thinking it uh, belongs be uh, better in a different uh, group? Um, I think there's an absolutely critical role uh, to be held by communications, held by marketing, held by PR. This is, uh, to a very, very great extent, a communications challenge, as I'm sure that no one listening has missed. There's a lot of pressure on companies for greenwashing. There was a lot of pressure, for example, um, after all the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020, for mm -hmm. companies to do more um, on systemic racism than just put a black square on Instagram to demonstrate what they're doing. So, um, you know, really, really important, I think, that, that companies communicate about what they're doing honestly. But I think there's a challenge because, as I've mentioned already, companies feel under enormous pressure from activists on Twitter, from the general public, and they're being bombarded by questions. What are you doing on climate? What are you doing on animal rights? What are you doing on good jobs? What mm -hmm. are you doing on, on all these questions? And so right. I think the, the art for a communications professional is how you can tell your story um, without implying that you're addressing all these masses of social issues, which may be completely unrealistic. So mm -hmm. Very, very easy to get this wrong and very, very critical to get it right. Allison, I completely agree. I think you're speaking spot on to a finger on the pulse of, of what I'm sensing is also happening in the marketplace. Uh, speaking of the marketplace, what brands uh, seem to be doing this really well that other companies could be looking to for either ex examples or influence or just kind of keeping track of what they're up to? I wouldn't say that any brand is, is perfect here. Nobody is doing everything uh, perfectly. Mm -hmm. the, the examples that people give over and over again, including in the classroom, would be a brand like Patagonia, which, which very mm -hmm. obviously um, has put social and environmental sustainability at the core of its business. It's a private company. Um, it's much, much smaller than many other companies, which makes it um, by some measures easier to manage these risks. Right. Another a company that people mention a lot is Unilever, um, which has made huge investments in sustainable um, you know, products, sustainable brands, um, you know, sustainable agriculture, that kind of thing. Um, I also like companies like Salesforce and Snap, but there are many, many more companies uh, that you could critique. And I don't think anyone is doing this perfectly because I don't think such a thing is possible. So that's really where I think the communications comes in. So, uh, you know, Facebook didn't make your list for some reason, Allison. Uh, what, what would you advise them? I mean, I think Facebook's uh, quite obviously in a really, really tough spot. Uh, one of the challenges, um, of course, is that Facebook is under a lot of pressure from regulators, from the general public, etc. Um, but they're arguably making so much money uh, that they don't care. Um, so I think we're, we're really getting to the point of um, regulators wanting to come in and kind of rein them in. We're also obviously seeing a lot of turmoil internally. A lot of employees are kind of raising objections there. 
there. Mm -hmm. um, and there seems to, as, as far as we can tell, still seem to be a lot of resistance from the leadership team. So um, my advice, honestly, to Facebook would be to consider a new leadership team, but I don't think they're really going to listen to that. So um, I would say that taking some of these criticisms um, a little bit on more on the nose than they have been. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe uh, listening to some of the, the recommendations from more credible civil society actors would be a good place to start. Well, that's some pretty uh, good advice and sound advice. I hope they take it. Uh, you're listening to On Top of PR with Allison Taylor uh, from Ethical Systems. We're going to take a quick break here and come back with more from Allison uh, just after this message. You're listening to On Top of PR with your host, Jason Mudd. Jason is a trusted advisor to some of America's most admired and fastest growing brands. He is the managing partner at Axia Public Relations, a PR agency that guides news, social, and web strategies for national companies. And now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to On Top of PR. We're joined here by Allison at the Executive Director of Ethical Systems. And Allison is writing a book called um, How Companies Can Do the Right Thing in a Turbulent World for Harvard Business Review Press. Allison, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So Allison, uh, go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about how companies can do the right thing uh, in a turbulent world and maybe in uh, a perfect world. What, what, what should companies be thinking about? So what I would say is we have um, what we name uh, efforts to do the right thing, what we name business ethics efforts has really for a very long time been about trying to create a defensive shield to protect the company from reputational or regulatory risk. And mm -hmm. obviously PR professionals play a really, really key role here. So that's the, the criticism that PR is about spin, PR is about greenwashing, PR is about manipulating the general public. Um, you can no longer, I think, though, maintain that defensive shield for a lot of reasons. Uh, social media would be a really, really key one. It is quite clear that you can no longer manage the, the narrative about you in the public domain in the way that you used to be able to by cozy relationships with the media and advertising. You have to have a much more interactive relationship with the general public. They're probably not going to take it from you that they should buy your products. They're going to look for other customer reviews. They're going to go on Glassdoor to figure out where they want to work. So there's a much more um, much more ebb and flow with stakeholders and much less about kind of how we can control the message and protect the organization from scrutiny. The other thing that's happened, I think, is really a huge rise in employee activism. So employees are much less likely today to call the whistleblowing line if they're worried about something. And they're much more likely to take your internal emails or your damaging internal information and leak it onto Twitter. So that idea that you can defend your company from those kind of things, it's, it's really impossible. We're also seeing a lot of pressure on things like non-disclosure agreements around harassment and discrimination. Mm -hmm. So we're really now in what I would call this hyper-transparent environment where you can't rely on spin, you can't rely on the story. You have to assume that anything that happens internally 
could become public knowledge at any time. So that affects pretty much every department in the company. Certainly affects uh, how you make money because intangible value and stakeholder trust is a much bigger part of how you make money. Certainly affects how you think about risk. And it certainly um, affects communication um, and how you tell the story. I don't know if your listeners are aware, there's a, a big new initiative called Clean Creatives at the moment, which is a bunch of PR professionals really objecting to the work that PR firms were doing with oil and gas clients and bringing that to light. So I think that's just an example from this industry of how loud and vocal employees are becoming. They're also sharing salary data. They're calling out discrimination on, on sexual harassment. There's much more bottom-up pressure on leaders today. So I would say all of this requires a pretty dramatic rethink um, in terms of what's always been done. Mm -hmm. You said earlier, hyper-transparent, we're in an age of hyper-transparency. I don't want to misquote you, but you said something to that effect. Yeah. Um, but is it reasonable to expect that the transparency uh, expectations and therefore compliance with such is likely to increase over the next five to 10 years versus decrease? I definitely think the pressure is going to increase. You're seeing already many more regulations around disclosure of things like climate change, uh, modern slavery, the gender pay gap, diversity and inclusion statistics. So um, definitely this is not going away. Um, but, but being transparent is pretty difficult because companies aren't really used to saying this is hard and we haven't got it right. Companies are used to saying we've got it under control and we're doing our best and here are all the great things we're doing. So I think at the moment we're in this really problematic situation where transparency is increasing, reputational pressure is increasing, but we don't necessarily have realistic ideas of what a business should and shouldn't be doing. And so it's really a kind of art form to tell that story story well, without exaggerating, without lying, without greenwashing, but also not implying that it is a company's job to solve every single social environmental problem out there. Yeah, that's well said. I think those will be some good quotables we'll use in our social media to promote this episode. So those comments, I think, were on fire. So very accurate, Allison. And um, uh, so, you know, I like what you said that it's not a, cor a corporation's job to solve all the social problems, but they can certainly put their dollars into those they feel most passionate about, maybe those that they're uh, influencing. Uh, so for example, like Amazon, right? I mean, their carbon footprint is ridiculous and yet they've made some pretty uh, bold statements and plans to improve upon that. Um, and so I, I kind of like how, you know, when a company thinks about what space are they in, right? And then how can they use that position of influence in their industry or what they do for a living uh, to something that's very, uh, you know, uh, very close to what they do. So, for example, you know, I've worked with uh, a national worldwide staffing company. And one of the things they got involved in, in is bring your son and daughter to work day. Right. That's perfect for their space. And so is providing, you know, suits and, and interview clothing to people who may not have those capabilities. So I just love it when I see an organization be very smart about where they put their philanthropic efforts and their uh, corporate social responsibility efforts. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect example because I would rather see a company like that doing that kind of work on making uh, recruitment more inclusive, um, really trying to tackle some of the, the kind of issues that come from referrals and a narrow pipeline and bias in recruiting and that kind of thing. It's much more important that they work on that than that they work on climate change. But for an oil and gas firm, it's important right. to work on climate change. Yes. For a pharmaceutical company, it's important to work on access and affordability of drugs. If you're Facebook, it's important to work on the social impact of your product. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to focus on the areas where you can provide most value and where you have most risk and tackle those things, not try and distract people with, with irrelevant charitable efforts. That's good. Yes, I like that a lot. So, Allison, let's say, for example, you or I or somebody uh, uh, in our audience is moving into a, a new role at the beginning of the quarter. They're going to be the chief communications officer, the chief marketing officer. Um, what kind of questions should they be asking of their new employer, either during the interviewing process or on their first days on the job so they can better get a, get a understanding of where the company is as far as ESG? So I would ask what their strategy is for, for ESG and sustainability. I would ask if they are reporting. I would ask to see that report. I would ask who is leading those efforts at the company. I think the other thing I would be really interested to find out is what is this company doing to understand its stakeholder landscape? Probably they're monitoring social media, but maybe not. It would depend on the it depends on the industry, but are they in touch with key activists and key NGOs? What do they do to understand their customer base? What do they do on in investor relations? What do they do to understand employee engagement and what employees are saying? Because you, if you have information about all those perceptions and risks, you will have a much, much stronger communication strategy. And if the answer to any of these questions is uh, nothing, then I would be pushing to... Uh, do that exercise uh, very early on in the job. So you can only really communicate well if you really understand today where all these stakeholder groups are coming from and where they might be going next. It's really, really important not to be reactive given how risky the external environment has got. So you need to be on the front foot. You can't be reacting every time someone's yelling at you on Twitter. You really, really need, um, I think, to kind of be anticipating where things might go next. That's good advice, Allison. Thank you. So thinking of that same persona, that same individual, uh, what resources would you point them to to get educated quickly and get familiar on this topic and maybe even uh, identify some best practices? Uh, I mean, the company uh, that I used to work for is a nonprofit called BSR, Business for Social Responsibility, BSR.org. They have a ton of very, very useful resources. I would also, um, if you're unfamiliar with this whole space, and maybe if the company isn't doing much yet, I would start off by looking at maybe some of the bigger competitors, some of the companies in your industry that have a really good reputation on these issues. Look at what they're saying. Look at what what they're doing and then think about what you might be able to do to differentiate yourself or um, you know think about those same issues right don't just copy what they're doing but look at what they're doing and figure out if there's space that they're not currently occupying that you could occupy and make a material impact and, and be relevant to the stakeholders that are important for you and your organization 
Absolutely. And then focus. I kind of can't say this too many times, but I think both communication and sustainability professionals can end up feeling like chicken little, that they're running around the company saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. The sky's falling in. And the reality is you need to pick one to three issues where you're going to try and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Is it good jobs? Is it climate change? Just pick a few and focus and then resist any pressure um, on anything else to the degree possible perfect that i can relate to that a hundred percent that's very good allison um so your book doesn't come out for a while if somebody wants to follow you on social media or connect with you and they have questions about this episode how would they best uh get a hold of you uh, you can go to my website, which is ethicalsystems.org. I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can, in fact, follow me on either of those places and you will, uh, I think, learn something about ethical culture and ESG and responsible business. I'm very uh, frequently share my opinions there. Um, and then always happy to have a dialogue with communications professionals that are thinking about these topics. So feel free to get in touch. Perfect. And how would somebody stay informed as to the your your book and its release? Oh, we have a monthly newsletter, Ethical Systems. I mean, we we write an enormous number of, of great articles. Did a podcast recently, for example, on combating bullshit in the workplace. Okay. Um, we're doing we did something at the moment on how if you you look at the business case for these things rather than your core values, um, then then that focus on money at the expense of your mission and purpose can really undermine what you're doing. So we have a lot of different perspectives, but we'll certainly be keeping uh, everybody updated on the progress on my book uh, by that medium as well. Allison, as we're wrapping up, I want to just ask you one more question, which would be um, at the end of the day, could you just remind and encourage our audience why this is important? Because the world is changing very, very rapidly. I mean, the biggest single reason I would say is you're not going to be able to attract or retain anyone under 30 for much longer if you don't pay attention to these problems. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. And it's for the betterment of society, culture, environment and more. Correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if you're if you have young children or you're sitting at the dinner table with your teenage children, I'd be super surprised if you're not hearing about these things already. But the good thing news is they align with what we want to do as as responsible citizens. So um, this can be a win win. This can be good for the company, good for the people in it and good for your own career satisfaction. So uh, a learning journey, it's worth getting on. Also, I would say, you know, it's an aside, but an important one, a fantastic uh, long-term career opportunity for a PR professional that wants to really get deep into this space. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Hey, Allison Taylor, you've been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us uh, today and helping our audience stay on top of PR. Uh, with that, I'm your host, Jason Mudd. And please, I encourage you to reach out to Allison should you have any questions. Check out our episode notes. We'll be sure to link to... Uh, the blog post and resources that she shared earlier, as well as her website and LinkedIn. And in addition, um, when the time comes, we'll do our best to update the episode notes with a link to her book where you can buy it for yourself. And uh, again, if you have any questions, please reach out to Allison or reach out to us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And if you have any suggestions for content, uh, we want to hear that as well. Lastly, if you have a peer or colleague that you think would benefit from this conversation, please share this episode with them. We'd love to help them out. And with that, thank you for staying on top of PR. Uh, this is Jason Mudd from Axia Public Relations signing off.
This has been On Top of PR with Jason Mudd. Many thanks to our solo cast sponsor, Burrell's, for making this episode possible. Burrell's has a special offer just for On Top of PR fans. Check it out at burrells.com slash on top of PR. <laughs>